Jesus, we thank you that you are everything to us. Colossians 3, 4 says, but when Jesus, who is our life, is revealed to the whole world, we will share in all of his glory. What a promise. Jesus, you are our life. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who has not the son of God has not life. Church, there's real life in Jesus. He is our life. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? By his divine power, God has given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. We lack nothing. We are full, we are complete in Christ Jesus. We have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And the life that we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. That's Jesus. Just let that sink into your hearts right now, church. Jesus is your life. He is the answer for everything in your life. Do you lack? He will fill you. Do you need anything? He will supply it. And my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19, promise. All of his promises are yes and amen in Christ. So right where you are, whether you're watching at home, you're right here in this sanctuary, maybe you're even li listening to the podcast at some other time, but it's a time now just to come into the presence of God. Because Jesus made the way for us to come right to the throne of grace. To receive mercy and grace in time of need. So come to the throne right now. Right where you are. Whether you're standing or sitting. Come to the throne. Behold him in his sanctuary in his power and his glory. Tell him, I love you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Thank you for filling me with your joy. Thank you that you said you will never leave me, you will never forsake me, you will never abandon me. There is nowhere I can go where you are not.
That's who you are. Thank you for being the lover of our souls. Thank you that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, no thing can separate us. We are in Him, He is in us, and we are one. So we glorify you, Father, right now. We thank you, Jesus, that you took all of our sins in your body on that tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by your stripes, we have been healed. So we stand now in health, we stand in wholeness, and we stand in holiness because of what you've done for us. So we worship you, we adore you, we exalt you, and we look with great expectation for your appearing. When you will come to gather us to be with you forever and take us home to live with you. We praise you and we pray everything in the priceless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. So greet one another, church. Bless one another. Praise the Lord. Well, I don't know about you, but the uh, time change has messed me up. Driving to church in the dark tonight. That's not right. Okay, well, I have a word for you tonight that um, the Lord has actually uh, done this in me. So what, what I'm going to be sharing with you this evening for the time that we have together is something that he has taught me. And what he has taught me, I'm going to pass on to you. And I think that the message tonight is a critical one for the church. And, um, and in fact, this is going to be an exhortation to the church tonight. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, I, I, I want you to exhort one another every day, every day, as long as it is called today, because you can become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If that wasn't true, the writer of Hebrews would not have been inspired by the Holy Spirit to write that down for our instruction today. So we have to be careful. We have to be on the lookout because our enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And we don't want to become hardened 
by the deceitfulness of sin. It prevents us from entering into his rest. So where I want to start tonight is um, where the Lord started with me one morning in my quiet time. I was doing my daily reading, and I would happen to be in Matthew chapter 24. So get your Bibles out. And uh, that's a pretty good woo for five people, I'll tell you that much. So turn to Matthew 24 and verses 4 through 13. So let me set the stage for you here. Um, The disciples had come to Jesus up on the Mount of Olives uh, in privacy, they came, sought him out, and they said, will you tell us what sign we are to expect that will let us know when the end of the age is coming or the end of the world in some translations? And so Jesus answers them, and he says this, and I'm going to read all of this out, so bear with me. This is in the New Living Translation. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. Well, right off the bat, that means we can be misled. So don't let anybody mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. Now, he's talking to the disciples here. So they will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers." And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So as I read this in my quiet time, I began to meditate and ponder on this and just come before the Lord and and ask him, what do you want me to know out of this? And the first thing I was considering was, where are we in the continuum of events that that Jesus talks about here? And I don't know, but I think we're somewhere in the middle because... We have already seen nation going against nation and kingdom against kingdom. We have seen wars and threats of wars. We have seen famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. In many parts of the world, the church is being arrested, persecuted, and killed. Not across the whole church, but in pockets of the church. And you will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. We're even seeing that now. That there is a great coming against those who stand for truth. The truth of the gospel. But what the Lord did in this quiet time is he took me 
to this sentence, and he began to speak to me. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. I have a window into the church because I lead freedom prayers. I've done hundreds of freedom prayers, and then I'm also a physician. So I see people in the intimacy of a physician-patient relationship, and I'm telling you, church, I am seeing people's love is growing cold. Sin is rampant throughout the world. You have to be maybe blind, deaf, and mute to not know that sin is rampant throughout the world. And, and, the, and love is growing cold. This Greek word for cold is suko, and it means a cooling breath. So like when you get a cup of hot coffee or a fork full of really hot food, and you go to cool it. And so the world, the devil... And our own carnality is cooling our love. And what the Lord told me was, Lex, you need to fan your love into a white hot heat. You need to let your love burn and not grow cold. And this is the message to the church. He buried that truth in my heart, and he has transfigured my heart in understanding that we need to love one another. The one who endures to the end will be saved, and I'm getting that if we are going to love one another with a fervent heat, then we are going to be able to endure to the end. And this is why Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day, with a capital D, drawing near. The day is drawing near. We need to be stirring up one another to love and good works, and we need to meet together, and we need to encourage one another. Why? So that we can endure to the end. Amen? You hear what I'm saying? Okay, so to, to put this into perspective, in John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus says to the disciples, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. By what? By loving one another. This is how the world will know that you are my disciples. So first and foremost, loving one another is a command. It's not an ooey-gooey feeling. It isn't something that we have to, you know, 
grow before we can love someone else. No, love is a command. When you love, then the feelings will follow. So we are commanded to love, and interestingly, I pondered this, it says a new commandment. Now, we know that we are supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and our neighbor as ourselves. That's not new, but this is a new commandment to love one another as Christ loved us. And we're going to see what that entailed momentarily. So he's saying, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. So the three years that the disciples uh, and the apostles spent with him, and then they all saw him go to the cross and endure such hostility from sinners against himself, and then rise again on the third day to a resurrection life, and now he sits at the hand of the or the right hand of the Father on high. That kind of love. John fourteen twenty one says, "He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him." So this commandment in John 13 to love one another is a commandment that we must obey, and when we do, we show that we love him. And when we love him because we are obedient, then the Father and the Son love us, and furthermore, he discloses himself to us. If you are feeling far away from Jesus, and he, you feel and you haven't had any revelation from Jesus, no manifestation of who he is, (coughs) then check your love. Are you loving one another? So it's a commandment, but it's also the mark of a disciple. So if we are not loving one another, We are not a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says it clearly. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The word love as a verb in the Greek is agapao, and the noun is agape. Everybody knows the word agape. So the interesting thing about the verb is that it is a transitive verb. It, it takes an object. So you love something or you love someone. In here, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. That's the direct object. So we have to love an object. We can't just sit alone in our room and love. Right? So we have to love an object. And then the other thing about the verb is that it is an action verb. There's going to be an action as a result. I don't know what to do with my water. Um, There's an action as a result of it. So let's think of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave 
his only begotten son. So as a result of the love, there was an action of giving his son. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us, us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Action. So when we love, the love will be apparent. That will be the mark of the disciple because our love is directed to one another and there is an action associated with it. Whether it's, it's providing some, something that somebody needed. Um, it was coming up and encouraging someone. It is forgiving someone. Love covers a multitude of sins, says the word. So, so the love is an, is an action, and it, and it is directed to someone else. So flip over in your Bible to 1 Peter 1.22. So what do we have to do with this love that we're commanded to do? What does it look like? 1 Peter 1.22, this is also in the New Living Translation. It says, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. In the King James Version, it says, you must have unfeigned love for one another. Now, so that unfeigned, feigned means to be false. <clears throat> and so, so it's the opposite of sincere, it's false. So we have to have a sincere love. It's not a false love, a fake love, a put-on love. It is real love that emanates out of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ because we were called to love like he loved us. And it is to love with all of your heart. In other words, you're not reserving a portion of your heart. You're not keeping a room in your heart that is separated from the person that you are loving. In the New King James, it says, love fervently with a pure heart. And this is really important because if you go to Matthew 5, 8, the Beatitude chapter, it says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. It is the only Beatitude that results in seeing God. So it is a pure heart. So we are to love fervently from a pure heart. However, what happens if your heart, you haven't guarded your heart? Sin is rampant in the world. You have let sin enter in. Your heart has become corrupted. It is not pure. You haven't guarded your heart. You haven't kept clean with 1 John 1, 9 and confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but you harbor that and your heart has become impure. So now turn to 1 John chapter 3. 
This is really important. This is the exhortation part I'm talking to you about because church, we need to be careful. We need to watch ourselves. We need to be able to exhort one another every day about loving one another. 1 John 3, verses 14 and 15. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. You don't have to go very far in the Bible, actually, to chapter 4 of Genesis to see this in action. When Cain hated his brother and murdered him. And then it's been going on ever since all the way down through time to the present day. But we are not that person. We have been called into life, abundant life, Zoe life. And in that life, when Jesus is our life, he is filling us, our hearts are pure, then we love one another fervently from a pure heart. Flip over a chapter to 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. So we must be ardent lovers in the body of Christ. We need to be loving one another fervently and coming from a pure heart. I'm thinking of the parable of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan. So here's a man who has been robbed, stripped, and left dead at the side of the road, and along comes a priest and walks along the other side of the road and keeps on going. And then along comes a scribe, inches a little closer, takes a look, and walks on by. And then comes a Samaritan who has compassion on this man and has mercy on him, binds his wounds, puts him on his animal, takes him to an inn, takes care of him, and then tells the innkeeper, let me know how much more it's going to cost when I come back this way in order to, to get him healed. That is love in action. That is love from a pure heart. 
The priest and the scribe were not willing to count the cost. They were not willing to have compassion that comes from the bowels. The Greek word is splanknon. It means coming from the bowels and having compassion on that man because they would get uh, unclean and would have to go through a ritual of seven days to become clean again. And so they were adhering to the letter of the law, but they were not loving. Woe. Woe to us. If we're going to say, oh, I'm, I'm going to read my Bible and do it, but I don't have love. Oh, that brings us to the next section. Turn to 1 John 3.16. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Love costs. It's a giving. It's a pouring out, out of your heart, into another's heart. 1 John 3, 18 and 19. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. You hear that? So we will be confident when we stand before God. It hinges on loving each other and showing the truth by our actions. Flip over to the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. I want to end on this. This is so powerful. So the Lord took me through all of these things I'm sharing with you as he dealt with me on loving one another. And I spent time in this again. Oh, how many times have I read this chapter? Innumerable. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. And again, this is in the New Living Translation. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others... I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and I, if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others... I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always 
hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. In other versions, it says, love never fails. So here's what the Lord told me, and I'm going to share it with you, and I'm going to put it in terms of us as the church. Listen to me. He said, if you are not reconciled to a brother or sister, it is not because love failed. It's because you failed to love. And that just struck me in my heart. And I've I've turned that over and over and over and over again, and I just had to raise my hands in worship and say, yes, Lord, you are right. That is true. Love never fails. So church, if we are going to be the church, then we must love one another fervently from a pure heart. And that love will never, ever fail. Let me leave you with one more verse. Philippians 1, 9, and 10. So this is the Apostle Paul writing the church at Philippi. And he says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. When I read that, I was just pondering how a love can flow, overflow more and more. And you know why what he told me was because I keep filling you with my love over more and more. And out of that innermost being flows rivers of living water. It is his love being transmitted into the world. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Church, this is what really matters. It's the mark of a disciple. It's how we love one another. So why don't you join me in prayer right now. Father God, I thank you for this word. I thank you that it is your word. Your word is eternal. It never changes. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will not pass away. So we come to you now and we give you our hearts, and we ask you to fill us, fill us with your love, fill us with your joy, fill us with wisdom, knowledge, understanding. Give us discernment and insight. Show us what is right, just, and fair. Enable us to make the right decision every time. Whoever we come across, Father God, as we are going, pour your love through us 
onto all of those around us. Exhibit yourself, Father God, in us. Let us be a demonstration of the fact that you so love the world that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. The Lord bless you, church. Go and love.